This episode of Awards Chatter is brought to you by Universal Television, presenting Girls 5 Eva. Girls 5 Eva follows a one-hit wonder 90s girl group who attempts a comeback while hilariously navigating family and relationships, plus the joys and pains of middle age. The show stars Sarah Bareilles, Renee Elise Goldsbury, Paula Pell, and Busy Phillips. Don't miss the series critics call the funniest show on television. Girls 5 Eva is now streaming on Netflix and is for your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Comedy Series and all other eligible categories. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 377th episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporter's Awards podcast, which is brought to you today by Hulu's The United States versus Billie Holiday, starring newly minted Golden Globe Award winner Andra Day, now streaming only on Hulu. And now down to business. My guest today is one of the most talented and exciting young actresses in Hollywood. The New York Times recently called her an unstoppable cultural phenomenon and GQ described her as the busiest young star in Hollywood. She made her screen acting debut at the age of 12 on the Disney Channel, co-starring with Bella Thorne on the sitcom Shake It Up from 2010 through 2013, and then anchoring her own series for the network, KC Undercover, from 2015 through 2018. In the middle of all of this, she started breaking into films, joining the Marvel family's reboot of the Spider-Man franchise in 2017 Spider-Man Homecoming and 2019 Spider-Man Far From Home, and also playing the female lead in the 2017 breakout hit musical The Greatest Showman. But her profile and industry cred exploded over the past two years thanks to two collaborations with the writer-director Sam Levinson. First, on the HBO drama series Euphoria, the debut season of which dropped in 2019, on which she stars as Rue, a teenage recovering drug addict struggling to find her place in the world, and for which, in 2020, she became the youngest ever winner of the Best Actress in a Drama Series Emmy, and most recently, in the new Netflix film Malcolm and Marie, in which she stars as Marie, an actress with a troubled past, and for which she is now nominated for the Best Actress Critics' Choice Award with an Oscar nomination quite possibly to follow. I'm talking, of course, about Zendaya. Over the course of our conversation, the 24-year-old and I discussed the roots of her love for acting, which date back to when she was just a shy kid observing her mother at work at the California Shakespeare Theater near Oakland, how she wound up in and navigated child stardom and emerged from it not only sane but empowered, what it's like being biracial in the 21st century, in the business and outside of it, And why she and Levinson, a white filmmaker almost 12 years her senior, have developed such a strong report, plus much more. And so, without further ado, let's go to that conversation. All right, Zendaya, thank you so much for doing the podcast. Great to have you. And uh, on this podcast, we always begin right at the very beginning. Just for the record, can you share where you were born and raised and what your folks did for a living? I was born and raised in uh, Oakland, California, 
Both of my parents are teachers. My mom was a fifth grade teacher in the Oakland Unified School District. <laughs> mm -hmm. And she also um, had a summer job that sometimes overlapped with her um, with her being a teacher, which was she worked at the California Shakespeare Theater ever since I was like two years old. Yes. And then my dad was the PE teacher at my school <laughs> and worked there for 15 years. Um, and yeah, that's, uh, that's. Yeah. So just one other thing that people might wonder, it's not every day you meet somebody who does not appear to have a last name. I know you did have one at one time. Um, uh, just, can you share for people who might be curious, what is, where does the, uh, name Zendaya come from and what happened to your, the rest of your name? <laughs> Um, my parents, uh, I, you know, I'm assuming they wanted a unique name. They did a lot of research um, on, you know, they wanted a, a name that had its roots in Africa. And they did a lot of research about different different languages and um, what they wanted my name to mean. Um, it took, I guess, a while to have me. It was I was definitely planned and I, I took a lot of preparation and energy to be made. Um, so it, it wasn't an easy um, they didn't get pregnant with me quickly. So mm -hmm. with that being said, um, my name means to give thanks. And it's also funny because it also kind of doesn't mean anything at all because it's its roots are from from something that mean that. But it also mm -hmm. has been changed so much through my parents own kind of wanting to make it a z name or change spelling my dad was you know studying um, martial arts at the time so zen and that whole thing kind of played in into into my name so it's kind of half real half made up um but uh but uh yeah i and i yeah. just figured when i started working that you know i I had my first meeting with my manager and she kind of had this suggestion about just like going by just one name, one name. Cause I, I have a pretty cool name. So I was like, mm -hmm. it's kind of cool. I don't know. Like, I, I don't, uh, I mean, it's, yeah, it's like Prince Madonna. It's a big thing to take on, but I don't know very many Zendayas. So I was like, yeah, True. sure. Might as well. Nice. Well, so this would not be considered professional, uh, acting, but I believe the first role that I've been able to find in my research was Bessie Coleman. Can you tell oh. what that was about? <laughs> That's actually funny. Um, I almost forgot about that. That technically, so it wasn't like a school play or anything, but uh, uh -huh. I had an issue as a young, I would maybe, it maybe was, I couldn't have been more than like eight years old, but I had an issue with the fact that my school, me and a group of my friends, had an issue with the fact that there wasn't enough being done for Black History Month mm -hmm. at our school. And there wasn't, uh, in, the, in, the, in the elementary school that I went to, we just felt like that, I, I think it's so crazy to think that even at like eight years old, this is what we were doing, but we just felt like there wasn't enough being taught about um, our history. And mm -hmm. there wasn't any kind of, special program or we just feel like there was information that we knew and we only knew because our families were black and we mm -hmm. felt like we should be sharing this with the rest of our school. So we asked our principal if a group of my of my my friends, all of us were black girls and we were like, "Hey, can we um 
can we put on a kind of like a performance thing uh, at assembly one day? And they were like, sure. What do you want to do? So each of us, um, each of my friends, we all picked a different historic, iconic black woman. And then we mm-hmm. like wrote a paragraph about them and we dressed up as them. And we went up in front of this whole school uh, one day at assembly. And we were just, you know, we, we performed as these different um, char- characters or these different historical figures. So I was... I was Miss Coleman because I felt yeah. that was right considering my last name. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes, yeah, so we should say Coleman was your is your actual full last name, and then Bessie Coleman, first I believe African American woman and Native American woman to hold a pilot license. But I guess the interesting thing there is that really would have been the first time performing in any way, right? I never really thought <laughs> about it like that. Um, for sure. I mean that. I mean I. Um, I remember. This is where having a mom that works at a theater company kind of came in handy because I I was actually able to get my costume from the costume house of the California Shakespeare Theater. They let me go through their stuff and put together an outfit. Um, So, yeah, I guess I was, you know, I was starting early. I I always kind of forget about it. um, But yeah. Well, I'm going to ask you about California Shakes in a minute. It's come up on this podcast before because I think Mahershala Ali worked there at one point and or or, or performed there at one point. Yeah. And uh, I know uh, Coleman did. Um, Coleman Domingo. Oh, yeah. Coleman Domingo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We actually so, found that out when we were shooting Euphoria the first oh, lesson, wow. Um because I was like, you know, I was so excited to know who Ali was going to be. Um, and Coleman was a dear friend of Sam's and I had brought mm-hmm. up his name to my mom and my mom was like, Coleman, oh, Coleman w- was up at Cal Shakes all the time. He knows you. <laughs> he met you when you were a little kid. And I was like, what? And I was like, yeah, he played in such and such and such and did this whole thing. You probably don't remember cause you were too young, but he was there. And I was like, what? So that is like, amazing. A crazy small world kind of, kind of experience. Well, before we get into Cal Shakes, which I know along with some other theater places were a big part of your childhood, I just want to note that up until, I guess, Disney Channel, you were in regular school, right? But it was um, first, I thought it was interesting. First, you started out at a prominently white private school and then... Which is why like, we felt the need, me and all yes, the, with the my, yeah. my my small community of, of black kids, right. felt the need to enforce some black history. <laughs> yes. And then, I don't know what age, but you eventually wind up at a, I believe, a prominently black public school. And so I just wonder, though, being a biracial kid, did that impact your experiences at either of these places or, or what, I mean, or I guess I, I, you know, people say when you're including, I think recently I was reading something president Obama had said, where he's like, look, you're, if you're even biracial, you're black to, to most people. And anyway, I just wonder how you identified and, and how this shaped your identity. Yeah. The hardest thing for me just was, was I think being in a predominantly white space as a, as a, as a young kid and navigating that. And there was only, like I said, a few black kids at my school, the school that I went to when I was, uh, mm-hmm. when I was, um, when I was younger and I was very grateful that my dad worked there. That's also helped with my financial aid and all that stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say, I think it was, it was difficult in a sense where I just, 
you know, there's, there's a kind of like a level of, of disconnect there, you know, and you really have to find that camaraderie within your other fellow black students that go there and there's not very much of us. And so there was moments like, you know, where you feel like there wasn't enough black history programs or, you know, we weren't feeling like I wasn't being, you know, I only knew the things I knew because of the parents that I have and what they're teaching me. Mm -hmm. So things like that. And so I think when I went to a different school later, I think I just kind of felt more at home in a sense where I felt like I had, there was more, more people that I felt looked like me or communities that felt closer to me or, and that I think as a young kid, I think is important, you know, Yeah, sure. Um, especially when it comes to you finding out about yourself or learning about even your hair or whatever that is, you know, it's really um, important to, to have that. I mean, and I, I, you know, I was grateful because the people, you know, in my school, I, I did make great friends, but I also had friends outside of school too, you yeah. know, and I have, you know, a lot of older siblings that all have, that have kids that were based, that are also my age. So, you know, I have a lot of cousins, like I have yeah. all the kind of support that I need. Um, but, uh, but definitely I think that was, that was a little bit diff difficult and there's, there's that kind of connection and just kind of knowing that there's a kind of, you know, a smaller group of people that you feel that you can connect with and, and understand yeah. kind of the issues that you're going through. But yeah. Um, and I, and I also learned at a very young age too, I think the incredible, um, disparity in social programs and, uh, you know, my, my mom literally worked no less than like 10 minutes down a hill. Um, at uh, Fruitvale Elementary School, which was pr predominantly black and Latino communities. Um, and the things that my mom had to work to or work for to get into her classroom, like science and outdoor education, like pens and paper and supplies and um, just basic, basic necessities to be able to teach your students was ridiculous. Meanwhile, in my class, I'm getting you know, movement class and I have arts education. And it was a huge thing for, you know, um, both of my parents really to, um, to, to expose her students to, to as much as they possibly could because the actual programs weren't part in place. So my mom actually got Shakespeare to get, uh, California Shakespeare theater to get involved with her school. And I think that's a program that's still lasting that she started there. That's great. Um, where, you know, the students were kind of, um, got essentially a drama class, you know, um, That's great. which I think is extremely cathartic and helpful. Um, and I think should be available to all students. Art, arts programming, I mean, is so, I mean, I know it's, it was important to me as a young, as a young child. And I think every young child should be afforded all the opportunities, whether it be STEM, whether it be whatever, to explore different facets of who they are and have the highest level of education. But you really see how, um, that that wealth gap, how it affects people's uh, yeah. access to education, and I was very aware of that at a like at a young age. Well, let's let's talk about why because you, I believe, it, I, from again just stuff I've read, it sounds like starting around seven or eight, you started going with your mom to Cal Shakes uh, and going to the performances, handing out programs, selling raffle tickets. I was reading, and your mom recently said to a, a local paper there, quote, 
She would go to catering. They would give her a burrito and a Snapple. She would go to the back of the house, grab a chair and a bunch of blankets and just sit up in the back and watch the show, close quote. So what was it then, I believe by the time you're in third grade, that led you, who were apparently a very shy kid, to want to start taking classes there and then before long to actually start, you know, performing in main stage stuff in the area as well. I mean, you were the one kid I saw in Once on this Island, which is uh, you were you were Carolina Change was another one. Just like that's an interesting thing that a that a shy kid, someone who's talked about, you know, like a lot of people had sort of anxiety uh, issues that you would gravitate towards doing something in front of other people. Just kind of interesting. No, absolutely. Um, I think it always kind of became a little bit of an outlet, you know, for me to be a little bit more not shy because <laughs> I was <laughs> extremely shy. I was like, I, I got held back in kindergarten. I did kindergarten twice because I was afraid to ask questions, <laughs> you know? Um, and because of that, I got, I, I, I never raised my hand. I never said, Hey, I don't get it. You know? Um, so I had to do kindergarten again. <laughs> and I think a major thing that my parents did, which I'm grateful for is they did this thing where they're like, listen, you have to try things. You don't have to keep going if you don't like it, but you have to try. And just making me try things was a huge part of kind of opening up me and my creativity and different kind of avenues, I think, for me to be a little bit more um, out of my shell. Um, so I did dance class and I did different sports and I just always gravitated towards the artsy fartsy stuff. Um, and I wanted to spend so much time up at that theater, you know, I just loved it up there and I could watch the plays over and over and over and over and over again. Like it was ridiculous. Um, I don't think any eight year old, 10 year old, whatever has ever watched as many Shakespeare and Oscar Wilde and, you know, whatever mm -hmm. plays as I have <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. as many times as I have. And I just I know I found it fascinating, you know, and I love the process of like watching these actors perform it live and watch them bring these characters to life in real time and, and the rehearsals and the tech rehearsals and the costumes and the lighting and the the whole thing. I mean, just really fascinated me. And I was, I'm, like I said, I was so lucky that my mom worked there. So I got this free kind of experience and this peek behind the curtain that I think a lot of um, people my age wouldn't have experienced. And that just kind of led yeah. me to uh, want to do the, the theater programs that they had. And then I did community theater and stuff in my, um, in my area that was like, I got like <laughs> a teeny little paycheck, you know, and I felt pretty good about it. Um, I bet. I bet. So a couple other things, obviously, at a pretty young age entered the picture. And I wonder if you can just, I guess, when did modeling start? Because that's another, in a way, form of performance, putting yourself in front of people. How did that come about? Um, yeah, it started when I was, um, hmm. Yeah, I was pretty young. I just was modeling for like catalogs and stuff like that. And it was mm -hmm. kind of like a cool thing to do because like it was like got me out of my shell for sure. And I got to start making like, like these little checks that I got to like I save up. And like have my own little bank account, <laughs> mm -hmm, which I, mm -hmm. I would save. And I I um I, I didn't even buy anything, but I kind of started to kind of have an awareness of money a little bit. And 
yeah, I don't know. It was just kind of like, I don't know. It wasn't, wasn't necessarily like a, a passion or anything, um, but it was something that kind of helped me be a little bit more outgoing. So that's one of the things I wanted to ask about in terms of going beyond theater acting. The other is, was screen acting something that you were always thinking about or how did that, because we should say, but when, when Disney Channel, you know, first enters the picture, you're only, I think, 12. Was that because you and I guess you're, you know, with your parents or something were looking for screen opportunities or just how did you even know about it? Yeah, I started it when I was 13 and... I saw this when I did the pilot for the show when I was 13. And I don't know. I, 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 it's interesting because I remember watching Disney Channel shows when I was a kid and being like, oh, I want to do that so bad. Mm-hmm. Like, that would be so cool to do. That looks like so much fun because it's basically what I see every day on stage, you know, but mm-hmm. they put it on my TV. So, yeah, I totally wanted to do it. I didn't know how or how to kind of to get there. But I, I knew that it was something I would love to do. But I also, you know, I didn't fall in, lo- in love with acting through movies so much as through mm-hmm. actors that I watched mm-hmm. perform in front of me. People like Coleman, who I, I got to like witness since I was a kid and watch their mm-hmm. transformation. So that's what made me fall in love with acting and wanting to be an actor. Um, and then it just um, it just so happened that uh, Disney Channel was the first thing that that uh, that got me. Do you remember the audition for Shake It Up? This was the show that kind of put you on the map for most people, 2010 to 2013. I came across something where this guy, who I hope, uh, I believe will ring a bell for you, Clive Worsley, uh, he says that he remembers working on a monologue with you from The Effect of Gamma Rays on Man in the Moon Marigolds, which was for your audition, I think, for... For my art school. Among other things. Yeah, for your art school. But then did you also use that for Disney Channel? I did not. I did not. Okay. Um, Okay. The Disney Channel stuff... was very different than that, <laughs> than that, that, um, that monologue. Um, it was a bit quicker and, and yeah. um, a little bit more back and forth. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, it was interesting when I first went in for my Disney audition, I knew that I was going in for Disney audition. So I just started watching like every Disney show that like, mm-hmm. and this is back when all the Disney shows were still on Netflix and yeah. I watched all of them. So I could be like, okay, this is the kind of, this is what they like. Like this is the thing. Yeah. And I just kind of tried to crack the code as to what that looks like, you know, um, and get in there and give all the energy I got. (laughs) (laughs) And so once you got that part, how big a deal did that feel like at the moment? It must have been the biggest thing, right? You know, it's really weird because I was going to my art school and I didn't tell anybody, but a couple people because I was like, nobody's going to believe me. Like, I'm just going to sound like... (laughs) we're all act, like, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, art school in, um, in downtown Oakland, you know, and, and I'm in like the, um, the theater department, which is like, we're the most rowdy group, you know, and <laughs> always getting trouble for being loud and mm-hmm. stuff. And like, I was, I was just like, you know, if I tell like people, they're going to just think that I'm just totally making this up. Like, you know, <laughs> they're just totally going to be like, bullshit, dude. Like, that's not true. Like, no way. Um, so I didn't tell anybody. I only told a couple of people and then kind of just let everybody else find out when, <laughs> when I moved. Well, it must have changed your day to day life, right? Because the show, I assume, was shooting in L.A. You had been up in Oakland. 
so did you have to move? Did you have to leave regular school? Like, how did it change things for you? Yeah, well, when I kind of did the pilot, I, I quickly figured out that doing regular school wasn't going to work um, because I tried to like kind of email my teachers and get my work. But it just it was just really, really difficult um, trying to stay on top of it. And being that both my parents are teachers, like they were really um, serious about making sure that I got my education, too. So we had to kind of start a homeschooling program, which was like totally weird. And I had never done before because like most of my whole life, I was like, I'm used to like being in a classroom with my like with my friends. And now I'm not. Mm -hmm. And this is super weird. But then came also the plan of like, so when I started working in L.A., it wasn't very long. But my my dad, you know, he he quit his job as a as as a teacher and and ended up working with me. And taking me and driving me basically up and back from Oakland to L.A. because it was the cheapest option. <laughs> um, again, yeah. we're working with a you know modest uh, teacher budget, which let me just say for the record, we need to pay our teachers more. And yeah. Take care of yeah. Our, our schools and our teachers and whatever. But that's a whole nother digression. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but but uh, yeah, so we would drive up and back and um sometimes several times a week. That's where I first started realizing it was going to be very difficult to do normal school work. So I would have to take my school with me, try to get it in advance, make up stuff when I got home, all this kind of, you know, scheduling and planning and trying to figure it out. And then I, um, when we actually, you know, got the, 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 the part, we knew at some point that I'd have to move to LA because it was going to shoot in LA. But my mom had two jobs that we needed to also help keep us afloat because I hadn't mm -hmm. got any actual paychecks yet from working right. on um, the show. And my dad obviously had to be with me. So it was an interesting time because then me and my dad moved up to Los Angeles. Um, we lived in these apartments that are like right in downtown LA, right by the, by the freeway. Not, not Oakwood. Uh, no, 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 yeah, yeah, not yeah. those, no, no, not those, yeah. <laughs> um, no, downtown LA, it's, um, okay. uh, is it the Orsini or something? Okay. Um, a lot of college students live there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So me and my dad lived there and my mom stayed home with, uh, our house, the dog and, um, and, and kind of did her thing out there, um, which was tough because obviously I was going through like major young woman time and like my mm -hmm. mom was in in Oakland and she was away from me and I was like you know I love my dad but I was like geez like I just I don't want to deal with you right now I want to talk to my mom <laughs> you know <laughs> like you do not understand like it was mm -hmm. it was a great story like just yeah you know typical <laughs> you know father-daughter stuff and um and then finally I think after you know a, f uh, a couple years uh once we got kind of more and more financial financially stable place we were able to uh move into a home and um and then my mom came out too so as that time was progressing i mean what was also happening obviously was that people were getting to know you on a very big scale like it was not just that show but i know that was overlapping with the record deal and with other disney programming and eventually leading into your second big show with them, Casey Undercover. And I just wonder if you can talk about, you know, had, on top of, as you're saying, like just growing up as a, as any girl is going through those years, you're having to suddenly be in the public eye to an extent, be a role model, 
you know, you had a book when you were 13, I think. I mean, this is this is um, not a common experience. And I just wonder how you adapted to being somebody that people were looking at suddenly. You know, it's definitely not um, a common upbringing. I mean, I mean, it kind of became my normal. Um, I'm very grateful for, you know, kind of my support system that I have. Um, my mom would always tell me whenever I got stressed or whatever, she'd be like, listen, like if this is ever too much, we can just go home. I'll just go back to being a teacher and we can just go home and everything will be go back to normal school and everything will be the way it was. And it's totally OK. Just let me know when it's too much. So I was always kind of reminded that if I didn't want to do it anymore, that it was no big deal from her. So that really I think that really, really helped. And I don't know. I think, like I said, a, a great support system. And I don't know, maybe this was just what I was always meant to do or something. But I just... You know, I, I've had a lot of, I think, ups and downs and figuring it out. I mean, the biggest thing is, you know, just being a young person in this industry with no um, kind of roadmap, you know, and my parents are teachers. They don't know what they're doing either. So mm -hmm. I really had to kind of figure it out on my own um, and become a, you know, a young businesswoman very quickly. Well, and it seems like one of the first examples of you kind of realizing the power that you kind of had to do, you know, to control your own career direction and to and to kind of influence others for the better was with this second show that they wanted you to do right with Casey Undercover. You were pretty clear that, you know, I'm not going to do it unless a few things happen. Right. Yeah. No, that was kind of like my first time realizing that I could have a little bit of power and request things that I wanted. And it was hugely important to me that there was a black family being showcased and. I just thought that that was important from the Disney Channel, um, considering that I know I watched it as a kid and what I connected to the most was, was That's So Raven, you know? Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I think it's always important for kids to see themselves um, reflected on the screen. And when you're making mm -hmm. child programming, like you have a little bit of an extra um, responsibility there, you know? So, yeah, and I wanted her talents to not only revolve around being able to sing or dance or whatever, I wanted her to, you know be into other things too because mm -hmm. there's lots of kids who are into other things that I maybe as a kid wasn't interested in you know uh, mm -hmm. so I, w I just wanted to kind of play around with that and you know I learned a lot in that process I don't think I got everything right or fully realized my power potential that then but um, again I was still a teenager you know yeah so, yeah um, I was still figuring it out but I did get a good kind of introduction and it's funny because people don't realize that the last like actual project technically that I was on before Euphoria was was technically Casey Undercover. Yeah, it looks like it was 16 months to the day or 16 months between the end of Casey Undercover and the beginning of, of Euphoria going on the air. So obviously probably quite a bit shorter for because you worked on Euphoria the first season for like seven, eight months. So it's it's. But in the, so people just if they're trying to keep track of the chronology, they should know that that meant that it was during the Disney period that you were starting. You started working with Marvel with the Spider-Man movies. You did The Greatest Showman, which became this kind of oddity in Hollywood where movies don't make more money as the weeks pass by. But this one somehow did, which was an amazing testament to you guys. Um, but then you would do those things. Then you'd go back to. Working at Disney, that must have been a little weird, huh? I mean, yeah, a little bit, but it was like I've been I've been working there since I was 
13. So, you know, right. that's like my, it's like my nine to five, you know, I think the weird <laughs> thing was going off and doing things and knowing that that wasn't there. Cause I always right. had that. I knew that I would, I went and did Spider-Man and I came back and I did, you know, and I went and did Greatest Showman. I came back and, and did my Disney show. So I always had something there because I, you know, in many ways I'm a workaholic and I mm-hmm. find a lot of purpose and balance and happiness in my work. I I feed off of it in a major way. So it was definitely weird kind of not having that. Yeah. And at that moment, it sounds like you had said something to one of my colleagues at the Hollywood Reporter on our roundtable that that was a really kind of stressful thing. Like, what do you do next? That's a big decision. And I believe you, you know, had sort of said at some point to your agent, like, even if the part calls for a white girl, put me in the room, I'm going to go for it. You know, you were open to all different kinds of things. So what was that moment like? And how did it lead to Euphoria and Sam Levinson, which has obviously been a big part of everything since? Um, I don't know. I think just trying to be selective and take my time and pick things that are exciting and challenging. And I, and I also didn't want to go too far too quick. You know, I wanted to, I was okay with small roles of something that was, you know, felt special and I felt connected to, you know, um, whatever the case may be. I just kind of took my time with, with that, you know, I just, it's all, just as so much about the yeses as the noes, you know, and I, and I just wanted to, I didn't want to jump too fast. I just wanted to take my time and build. And I, and I kind of still feel that way. I, 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 I just want to do things that kind of continue to challenge me and keep me inspired and creative as an artist, because that's really the point <laughs> of all of this at the end of the day. So really that's what I just kind of strive for and, um, and try to follow that, 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 that yearning to just want to be better at my craft. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Did Sam ever tell you, though, what it was that he had seen of your work that made him think of you for Euphoria? I mean, I'm let's just tell I'm still confused about that. <laughs> I still don't know. Well, let's just set it up, though. If anyone hasn't seen Euphoria, essentially, you are playing a high school student who is battling addiction. It's sort of, I, I know the series was inspired by this Israeli series, but it was also, I think your character, Rue, is sort of modeled on Sam at an earlier time in his life. But, you know, this is a totally different thing than anything that you'd previously done. So I'm just really curious if he's ever said like, oh, this is what made me think of Zendaya. Yeah. uh, (laughs) No, I mean, I never really, I never really found out uh, what it was that he saw in in me that did it, you know, I, I really don't know. He said that he just watched interviews and he just knew he was like, yep, that's Rue. I don't know. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm grateful that he did, you know, because I'm very grateful for Euphoria and for Rue um, and the, you know, the entire experience. It really allowed me to open myself up to so many things and emotionally tap into things that I just didn't know uh, were there yet. So yeah, I'm, I'm in, 
I'm, I'm whatever whatever it was. I'm glad he saw it. <laughs> yeah, and so there's the there's the perception from outside of what. All right, this is different than what Sunday has done before. But then I wonder for you, you were being asked to do things different, very different than anything you'd been asked to do before in terms of just the emotional kind of places your character has to go and things you have to do. You've spoken about the fact, I mean, I think you've you've really in your own life been a great kind of example for how to live without getting in trouble and doing things. And yet here, and I think you even said at one point that you hadn't tried alcohol or drugs. So here to play somebody who's having those experiences that are so removed from anything that you could relate to, I just, where do you draw upon aside from the script for how to do that? Right. Well, I mean, there's only so much that I can fully um, understand about addiction. I think it's, you know, it's um, different for everyone and their journey is different. And, you know, that's where I really had to lean heavily on 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 Sam, who's extremely open and honest about his experiences. So with that being said, like I was totally um, I had I had like kind of a safe space to ask questions and communicate. But then also, I think in another kind of to another kind of degree, although maybe literal experiences may be different, there are like emotional threads and connections that feel that you can find with your characters. Um, and I feel very connected to Rue about a lot of different things. I mean, a lot of her fears and her anxieties and even moments that she has that like maybe the specifics of the situation might feel might be different, but the actual emotional place may feel very similar. You know, it's like, uh, we got here different ways, but we feel the same. And I've been here and I understand what that feels like. Or there's moments where I don't, you know, there's there's places that she emotionally has gone and has felt that I, I haven't experienced and I don't want to experience. Yeah, no. <laughs> but it's all about, I think um, for me, it's about empathy and it's about having, you know, extreme levels of empathy and understanding for your characters and for what they're going through. And specifically with Rue, you know, just understanding her brain and the seriousness of the disease of addiction and what it does mm -hmm. to you and understanding, you know, uh, understanding that in an empathetic way. You know, I think uh, people are often so judgmental um, of people who 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 experience addiction. And, you know, I think we, we talked about it in one of the episodes, but, you know, perceived as selfish or whatever the case may be. And kind of Ali goes into this thing about how it's a degenerative disease and, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And. It, 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 I think my only hope for Rue and for people who connect to her is to help them have a better understanding um, and greater level of empathy and towards what it is that, that she's going through. So maybe they have a better understanding of a yeah. family member who's going through it or uh, whatever, or a friend, you know, just so that they can understand how better to support them, um, and understand what, what it is that they're, they're going through. And I think that that kind of became my job and helping people kind of feel seen in that way. And a lot of people say they have, I mean, from trans people to people dealing with addiction and all of that. But I guess this brings us to the last year, which has been crazy for everyone because of things going on in the world with, um, the pandemic with, uh, you know, stuff with uh, brutality, just terrible stuff. Uh, it's been a really weird year for you. The nice thing is there have been some some great upsides, too. And I've, I guess let's first talk about September 
20th 2020 when we were all i think watching and uh your family was literally right behind you during the emmys and i wonder you looked as surprised as anyone when you became the youngest person ever to win the best actress in a drama series award just tell me about that moment for you before we move on to malcolm and marie yeah no it's still still pretty crazy thing you know i can't still can't wrap my my mind around it um I feel incredibly grateful. It was, yeah, as shocked as everyone else because, I mean, I was up with the heavy hitters, you know, people who I uh, admire and respect their work and their success and, you know, and everything. So I was definitely the oddball in the sense or whatever, um, <laughs> the more of a long shot for me than for these <laughs> other incredible ladies, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I just was going into it grateful just to be there, you know? So that was, I was cool either way, you know? So it was, it was, it was very, a, a very pleasant surprise. That's great. And it's turned into the cool meme with, I guess, I don't know if you've seen or the gif or whatever it's called, where, you know, when you swing around the yeah. <laughs> the Emmy, that was great. Uh, but uh, back, hands up. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> so that, uh, you know, it's not a coincidence that Euphoria has been followed by Malcolm and Marie because you guys were, I guess, just getting ready to go do your second season. You were excited, from what I understand, to like get back to work, even if it is a, a dark headspace sometimes. And then... Take the story from there, if you would. <laughs> uh, well, we got shut down, I think, the day before we were about to start shooting. Um, so we just, uh, I was already kind of gearing up to go one way, and then it was like, uh, that's not happening anymore. Um, and that year, I hadn't really acted, so I was like, oh, man, what, do, what am I going to do with my with myself now? And, you know, I took took it all very seriously, and I stayed inside. Like, I literally didn't leave the house like 40 days uh, straight. But yeah, I was, I was just calling Sam and, you know, talking about euphoria and what the future of that looked like. And, you know, what are we going to do? Like, are we gonna have to, you're gonna have to rewrite it? Or are you gonna like, what's, what does it look like? Are we ever coming back? Like what, what, uh, what does the future of our industry look like? Which I think a lot of people mm-hmm. were looking at. And I, you know, it was very hard for me to even feel, feel down about myself because I knew how many people were being devastated and affected by what was going on. That it was like, how do I even complain about where I am? You know, and I was thinking about, we were thinking about crew, our crew who also got shut down and uh, unfortunately couldn't work either. And nothing in Hollywood was up. So it's like, what, like, how are people getting through this? You know, and like, just kind of came this concept a couple months in of just like, you know, what if we just shot something in my house? You know, I just want to be creative. I just want to mm-hmm. be experimental and, and, and just try some stuff, you know? Um, and then that kind of blossomed into this idea of like, okay, Z, like, what if it was just like a, like a filmmaker and his, and his girl, they come home and he, you know, forgets to thank her and they like argue. And then we just turn off the light and, you know, we don't know the state of their relationship. Is like, that was basically like the bare bones of the idea. Was there originally going to be some weird, like meta, Casey undercover thing. I've, I've yeah, read that. He, he had this one very strange idea. You know, there was a lot of very strange ideas. Um, <laughs> one of which was like this thing of like me having a mental breakdown because I still think that I'm on 
Disney Channel. But I, I, you know, I still don't think that's a bad idea. I think that <laughs> I just am not ready for that one. I think that one's better right. if I'm like 30 something right, and right. I'm having a bit of a mental breakdown. And, and then in terms of Malcolm and Marie, I think it's interesting. Why is Marie called Marie? Because my middle name is Marie. <laughs> <laughs> so, but she's not, she's not in any way like you, is she? Well, you know, it's interesting because I think, yeah, she was written for me, but she was also think, written to, I think, the woman that I am, the woman I'm becoming in the sense that like I do have a argumentative, tough spirit to me as well <laughs> and aside. And I think that like, that, you know, that bleeds into also Malcolm's character. You know, it's like, I think it's just kind of pieces of ourselves and like insecurities and um, fears and whatever. Like, you know, we just put them into these kind of these extremely toxic and <laughs> characters that are using each other as like catalysts to just let it all out, you know? And I think, you know, it's kind of funny looking at it now because of everything, but you know, the, the, the like thing, the, the motivation behind this, you know, this film was to get our cat, our, our crew back to work, hopefully get everybody paid in a time where we, nobody was making any money and being able to do it safely and confines of like, of our time and what we're doing. And then also just like to be experimental, you know, yeah. um, just to, try shit, you know, like that's really, you know, what we, what we went out there to do, you know, is just to experiment and see what we can do. It's really is like, here's the challenge. You know, you have one place, two actors, you know, you can't do this. You have 22 crew members. You have to keep people's attention. Go, you know, and it's your own, your own costumes, right. Your, your own outfits, your, you know, your own hair and makeup and go, you know, and, and it, it was, the limitations also were also very freeing in a lot of ways. Right. Because it allowed us to just, we didn't have anybody, no studio or like, this is as indie as a film gets, you know, we're putting (laughs) our own money into it. I'm dressing myself, you know, I'm putting my own hair and makeup (laughs) together. I have, you know, thank God someone's there to help me with, with putting, like putting, make sure I, you know, get my office together and, and sewing things I can't sew. Um, but you know, um, I, we, we don't have like craft service or anything. We have some snacks that we brought that like (laughs) were, you know what I mean? We're trying to like ration, you know, we have like, you know, we're trying, we're just all figuring it out on our own. Um, and, uh, but all in the same token, it was, uh, it was a very special experience. I got to do with people I really cared about. It was like this very strange summer camp, you know, like some real like actor summer camp shit. And, well, and it bred great characters that I know, you know, you guys feel, I think, authorship, you and John David, who I talked to for our actor roundtable and Sam for our writers, that you guys, there's a bit of you all in each of these characters, I think. And the fact that, I mean, you each have such amazing monologues and moments. The thing that I would, I would give you the Oscar right now for the knife scene. I thought that was do you do you have anything to say about that one? Because literally, that takes the air. Like people are like, "Holy shit!" As soon as that, well, it was it was a fun one. You know, I think you know it was just finding ways to like keep the suspense and the tension, keep this kind of thing going on, and seeing what we can continue to do, even though we're already so far into the film. And like I said, I I wanted a challenge. I wanted something I could dig my teeth into and figure it out. You know. Um, we're now figuring out like it's public and like it's to the world. It's, it's really interesting. Cause I was like, I would have like, you know, I, I just kind of 
it's just crazy to think about it being a, th- a real thing, you know, cause it was just like <laughs> our little thing that we did. And now it's like this, this much bigger yeah. thing, but yeah, I'm mean, like, it's experimental. I mean, it's in many ways, it's like how you would do a painting, you know, it's like, here's this canvas, here's the paint that you have to work with. And now let's, let's collaborate to make something beautiful, you know, and let's see yeah. where we can go with this and what we can do with what we have and what we can make and what we can create together. And I think it served, I think for all of us as a real catharsis, you know, um, being able to play these characters, um, to just scream, you know, to just, <laughs> you know, let things out. Um, I'm not a screamer in general. So just to like get that stuff out of me, I think <laughs> through her was, was, was important to tackle these, these characters. I just wanted to like, I was so hungry just to want to like, to, to get into something that had some meat to it. And, and I think, you know, with that knife scene, I just was like, it was a tough one. It didn't happen right away. It was not um, something that I was like, okay, well, um, that worked. You know, it, it was a t- <laughs> it was a tough one. Um, we did it quite a few times. You know, we did it the way it was written. It was like oh, that feels weird. That was dumb. All right, uh, let's try to like rewind it as we go. So I'm like, okay, let's. Uh, what if I said this? What if I said that? And you know, we're kind of playing with the idea that maybe it almost feels like it's almost like a scene from euphoria or something, you know, um, Mm -hmm. just to kind of get meta and weird, you know? And Mm -hmm. then it was like, no, Mm -hmm. it's a little too weird. You know, we've (laughs) actually already been here before, so let's not do that. Um, and then, you know, you know, it was just, there was so many versions of it and I just wasn't, I wasn't connecting like something. I wasn't able to trick myself twice and to get into that headspace. And I was, and I'm extremely hard on myself. So I was just like, damn, like, it's just not, it's not happening. Um, and then Sam was like, you know what? You're blocking yourself. Like, fuck the words. Just go in there and just say whatever you need to say. Scream at John David. Pretend that he is whoever you need to scream at and just like <laughs> go for it. And I was like, oh, this is going to be so embarrassing. <laughs> and I just started like, sc- he was like, scream, Z, just scream. And I was like, ah, you know, and like yelling at John David. And he's like, oh, this, this isn't about me right now. <laughs> you know, and I was like, no, no, I'm sorry. You know, so I just went and went and went and that didn't even get it. And I just remember kind of having this conversation with uh, Sam off to the side and, you know, just kind of talking about a moment in the past year, I think with everything and just kind of me figuring myself out where I just felt like I'm just, I'm not doing very well. Like I'm just not feeling good. I don't feel like myself. I don't know what's wrong with me. And that kind of opened up this thing of like, just, I'm just not doing very, like, how did you feel at that moment? And I was just like, I'm just not doing very well. And I felt like in a huge way that this movie helped me kind of retap into like myself and find myself mm-hmm. again. And, oh, this is what I'm here for. This is what makes me happy. This is what brings me joy. This is what fulfills me. And so I was like, had to kind of dip back into those thoughts of like not feeling great or not feeling like yourself um, and feeling like there's something wrong with you, but you just don't know how to fix it. And that kind of started the beginning of, I think, the emotional floodgate and tone for where that, thing went so once that broke and we kind of find that I'm not doing very well I'm really just not doing very well then (laughs) I was able to kind of play a little bit more uh with where that was and then you know you know Sam would shout out lines or whatever and then I started laughing and then you know like it was just we just were able to have a little bit more fun once I could just tap into I think a moment that felt really 
you know, tough for me to kind of admit in front of, you know, this is my family that I'm talking to now, you know, John David has become, you know, so close to me and and, and Sam and all the crew members who have been with me through Euphoria. And I'm sitting here like, I just was like, I'm just speaking about my life in front of them, you know, Mm -hmm, and nobody mm -hmm. wants to say that you kind of just didn't feel like something's wrong and I don't know how, and I don't know what's wrong with me. And so kind of using Marie as a catalyst to just kind of let some stuff out. And, and, um, I think I needed it. Well, it's, it's an amazing performance. And I hope I can just close with one last question just to ask you about, you know, this moment in time where you're part of this great show on HBO. It'll come back before long. I hope, um, you have gotten that recognition for that show. You've gotten now a critics choice nomination for, uh, for, Malcolm and Marie, everybody's talking about it, who I know, you know, who won the argument, whose whose side are you on? Um, You know, there there are other conversations, which I give Sam a lot of credit. He's directly engaged in and and talked about just stuff to do with character, who can say what and all of that. It's very interesting. But I guess I just wonder for like a time capsule, if we were to look at this in 10 years from now, we're talking on February 23rd, 2021. You've got I believe Dune in the can. You've got another Spider-Man that you're in the middle of right now. Just how do you feel about everything? It's kind of a you've you've come amazingly far in a relatively short amount of time. And I just wonder if you've had a chance to kind of process it and if there are specific things that are still on the to do list. Yeah, um, I don't know. I think I'm, I'm one of those people that has a hard time being super happy and taking things in as it's happening because I'm, like I said, extremely critical myself and, and and sensitive to a degree. You know, I really, I, um, I want to make things that people connect to and I, and I want to also make people proud, you know, um, and I want to do a good job, you know, um, and, you know, I am still kind of figuring it out, um, as I go and still learning, uh, what this looks like and, figuring out what I'm doing, you know, like I said. Um, and so I'm just trying to kind of take my time and do things that are challenging and push me. But it always is difficult, I think, in the moment to really enjoy things as it's happening, which I think is something that I, I probably need to get better at. <laughs> because then you look back and you're like, wow, I just didn't, I didn't take any of the good of it in. You know, I was just so stressed about X, Y, and Z that I, I didn't mm-hmm. even take it in, you know? Um, so that's something that I have to get better at. But I mean, I think for me, I'm, I'm just incredibly grateful for, for every single opportunity that comes along. I mean, not many people get to do what I do for a living. Um, I think we have the coolest job in the world and I just like, I think I'm just like, especially since everything has happened this past year and this sense of like, what does the future look like and future of our industry look like? I'm just like, I love my job. I love my job. I say it. I love my job. I'm so grateful for it. I love to be able to be a storyteller. Um, I love every moment of it. And even, you know, trying to learn to love everything that comes along with it, you know, and, and, and criticism and, and, and ideas and thoughts and opinions like that's part of what we do. And I'm grateful for that even too, you know? So it's like, um, just kind of really just a huge, immense gratitude for every single day and every moment as it happens and every project that comes along. And, you know, hopefully I'll be able to just continue to 
make things I want to see. Um, I'd love to be able to, to, to be a filmmaker one day. I don't know what that looks like, but I'd love that. I'd love to be able to make more things, not just for myself, but for other people. I don't know. I just want to continue to be creative and make things I'm proud of and uh, things that people connect to and things that uh, that move people. Well, I, you're, you're doing a great job and it's so nice to get to speak with you. I really appreciate you doing this. And of course. Thank you. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it Take for care. your support. Thanks very much for tuning in to Awards Chatter. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that and would really appreciate you taking a minute more to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or your podcast app and to leave us a rating as well. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Scott Feinberg. And you can follow all of my coverage between episodes at thr.com slash the race. Until next time, thanks for joining us. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply